Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. Today we are joined by the ever so fabulous Anna Vitiello, a luxury content creator, stylist, and a dear friend of mine in the fashion industry whose style I absolutely adore. Born and raised in London, Anna fell in love with fashion at a very young age and worked her way through the editorial world, from Harper's Bazaar to Vogue, until she left to become a full-time content creator, and thank God, because we are all better for it. She is never without a chic pair of sunglasses, a stunning blazer, or an earring that's absolutely to die for. And her unique style has landed her at fashion weeks around the globe with luxury clients like Bulgari, Chanel, and Harrods. In today's episode, Anna gives us a recap of her first ever trip to LA. I'm so grateful she flew across the pond to do this episode. And her favorite vintage stores around town. She also shares her best tips for honing in on your personal style, finding your niche, and navigating the fashion industry. I hope you guys love today's episode. If you haven't followed the show yet, find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you follow us, rate, and leave a review to get notified for new episodes every Monday. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing weekend, everyone. Here's my friend, Anna Vitello. Hello, dear friend. Hi. I'm so happy that you're here. Me too. I can't believe I'm in LA. Best time ever. I mean, I'm so happy that we... This feels very serendipitous for a lot of reasons. One, because you and I have recently had a conversation just like about careers. And I feel like we just like went super in depth. Yeah. And then shortly after that, you were like, let's do this on the pod. Yeah. And not only that, but you were also like, and I'm going to be in LA. Yeah. So I love when I get to have friends who live halfway across the world here with me. It feels so great. But also you're just someone I've like loved and admired in this industry for so long. And so this is so exciting. Thank you. That's so kind. Anytime. Wasn't expecting compliments today. Oh, you're going to get them. <laughs> I hope you're good at receiving compliments. I'm not. Show. I'm British, but I'll give it my best shot. It's cute. It's good. <laughs> How long have you been in LA? For four days now. Okay. And I know that you just walked in and were like, I've been vintage shopping like a maniac. You mm-hmm. have the most gorgeous earrings on I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Where have you been going? Give us the skinny. Oh, goodness. Okay. I've probably done about at least 10 so far. And these were from, I forget the name of the shop now. The way we wore. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. I have not been there, but it's, it's on my list. really great. It's more of like a film. I feel like people go there for film or it's more like costumey. Right. But of course, I'm never going to walk into a vintage shop and not find a pair of clip-ons. I also feel like you, costume is a part of your wardrobe. I feel like yes. there are certain elements of it. I that agree. You wear it so well and it's a part of like the overall moment. I totally agree. And I really love like putting together a look that feels completely understated and then just throwing on something that no one would ever expect you to be wearing. People really are afraid of costume clothing today to some extent. You know, they walk into a vintage store and they're like, I could never wear this look that has 
really big shoulder pads or, you know, a vintage kind of, I love a shoulder pad. You and I both have them on right now. (laughs) A crazy clip on, like a really beautiful, intricate clip on earring. I think people shy away from those things and you fully dive in. I also think that walking into those environments is really overwhelming. Yeah. And it takes some serious, I'm at a point now where I walk in and I'll, I just look at a rail and I can see from like across the room if there's something that interests me. Mm. And if there is, and I'll go over and pick it out, but I don't need to go through like every single thing. But I feel like if it's not your, if it's not really your vibe to be trawling through vintage, it's, it's a bit of a scary experience. That's so interesting. Do you feel like there's something that has been most helpful in like refining your eye in that sense? I think a lot of people want that ability to walk into a store and not be overwhelmed. Like, what is it about that moment when you walk in and you're like, that piece? Okay, this is actually one of my most favorite conversations. (laughs) Glad that we kicked it right off. (laughs) (laughs) Because people always, the question I and you probably get the most is, how do I find my style? How do I figure out how, what I like? How do I wear this thing that seems so unwearable to me or seems so alien to the average person on the street? And the thing I always say is that it takes probably years. It takes time and effort and um, it's an emotional investment to figure out who you are from a sartorial perspective. Like who, what do my clothes say about me? How can I best represent who I feel I am to the outside world. And that really takes serious investment. It takes trying things on. It takes figuring out what silhouettes make you feel good. It takes figuring out how you put your own little flourish on a look with accessories. It's everything. Like even, you know, people like to, I I know like my family have all, all think that I wear the craziest sunglasses, which I do, but they're all in like Ray-Ban, classic Italian Oh, that's all they'll wear, but they don't realize that choosing a classic also says something about you. Whether you like it or not, you're always saying something with what you wear. And I do also think that there's this kind of notion of self-indulgence that people associate with investing time into what you look like and that you must be, I don't know, on some level arrogant or really into yourself to care about how you are represented to the outside world. And so I always try and encourage people. I'm like, just just go and try stuff on. And I know it feels like so much effort, but you'll thank yourself when you walk over to your wardrobe and you're like, this feels like me. Right. This feels like how I want the world to see me. And w- the more you get to know what those things are and the, the, the kind of pieces, silhouettes, everything, the eras that make you feel good, the more you walk into somewhere and you're like, that's my thing. That's my piece right there. And that's how it's happened for me. We'll be right back after a quick break. While we're talking about being your own boss and being a multi-hyphenate, I want to share something that helps me be my own boss every single day, hassle-free. It's my Saqqara meal plan. I absolutely hate when I'm working from home and lunchtime comes around, I have no idea what to order, so then I just end up ordering something really bad that's also bad for me and... Five o'clock rolls around, of course, and I completely crash. When I use Sakara, I feel my best. I have no sugar cravings, I don't need to snack, and my energy levels are amazing throughout the whole day. And the best part, I feel really good. 
Sakara delivers ready-to-eat, plant-rich meals that help you look and feel your best, even during those weeks of back-to-back meetings and happy hours. You can manage your weight, ease bloat, and keep energy levels high with science-backed, nutritionally designed meals that will have you actually looking forward to eating. I swear, it's so good. I go to sleep every night so excited for the next day. Sakara delivers science-backed, plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clear skin. And right now, Sakara is offering you guys 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com slash friend or enter code friend at checkout. It's an amazing deal. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash friend to get 20% off your first order. Go to sakara.com slash friend and enjoy. I promise it will make the world of a difference in your busy week. Sakara.com slash friend. Now let's get back to the show. I often say that to me, fashion feels like self-care. It's like self-love. Yeah. And yeah. it has been the most crucial way that I've been able to express myself. Exactly. As it's just exactly. been the most important thing for me. I would say whenever I get asked that question, I give a similar response that yes, invest the time in it. But I also think, you know, for someone who might not be like diving into costume that really just wants to express themselves yeah. with really nice elevated basics. Mm-hmm. I think people really underestimate how powerful finding your fit is. Like for you, I feel like based on like how I see you dress on Instagram and what I see you in the most, like you are always in the chicest like blazer dress. Like you love a padded shoulder. You love a lapel. Like you love piping. Like that is your thing. And I think everybody has the ability to find their thing. Like, and does that mean, sure, it's a really big fitting blazer? Does that mean it's a, or does that mean it's just a really good pair of jeans from Levi's that you love. Exactly. Back to the question that I'm sure people really want to know the rest of. Where else did you vintage shop? <laughs> like, where okay. else did you go? My favorite, what have been my, okay, I went to the flea market yesterday. Oh, the Rose Bowl? No. Or the Melrose one? The Melrose one. Okay, Melrose is fun. I may have bought seven jackets. Perfect. And a few other bits. Possibly one of the best vintage pieces I've ever bought, which was like, I know. I was not expecting it because I, <laughs> you know, when you live here, you kind of grew up going to the Melrose flea market and, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but to have a foreigner who is very invested and knows what's up when it comes to vintage buying, say that they found one of the best pieces <laughs> there, I think might reignite a lot of people listening right now to go back. <laughs> like, there was one seller. He had all these like incredible, incredible leather jackets, not just 80s ones, everything. And I bought this ivory leather waistcoat with huge huge shoulder pads. Love. Very YSL. So perfect. And like $150. Incredible. Where else have I been? Decades. Yes. Incredible. Decades amazing. Scout. I told you to go to Scout. Yes, you did. Scout is the best. I used to intern for these two really well-known stylists when I was in college and they would have me go to Scout all the time. But it's like a small curated Very edit. small. Yeah. So like if you're in LA, obviously, or even if you're not, you're coming in town, don't expect to like be sifting through things at Scout. Yeah. Like it is, I'd say maybe there's a hundred pieces or less in the whole space. But they're all very you. I can see why you're. I love Scout. Why you're. <laughs> and then we're also in Aralda. That was also incredible. But again, like probably a little scary if you're not someone who just wants like a pair of Levi's. Incredibly expensive. Expensive yes. and very like, if you're like a real fashion aficionado and you're like, oh, I loved Alaya. Yeah. Spring, summer 91. Right. Then you probably find there. it in there. Yeah. So pretty incredible. I would say also a few other ones. I, if you're in LA and you want to start with vintage, go to Jet Rag. Did anyone tell you to go to Jet Rag? No one. This is your, I don't know if you would vibe because it's not, there's not okay. like high fashion. Okay. But this is like OG piles of clothing. 
you're going to find amazing, amazing, amazing things if you I love sift. that. Oh, go to Jet Rag then. Okay. Yeah. Because it, the, the other thing is, as much as I love finding those incredible, you know, like iconic pieces, I also love sifting. Like I love just like that, getting my hands dirty and going through. And, and there's nothing better. Honestly, the, the only jacket I brought with me on this whole trip I got for £20 at Retro Women in Notting Hill in London. And I love it. Like, it's not about the price point. As I yeah. said, it's like, it's really just like finding stuff that brings you joy. And that's how I fill my wardrobe. And that could be $2,000. It can be $20. Where did you grow up? London. Okay. So you're born and raised there. Born and bred. I want to hear about how your love for fashion started. Because off the bat, you know, as I was prepping for this episode, no one dresses like you in my mind. I remember when we were in Milan, I could like see you from afar and be like, yep, there she is. Oh my God. I just think you have incredibly distinctive style. And with that always comes a really fun background. So how did you get into fashion? Uh, so I grew up in London. I didn't go to a particularly fashion. I didn't come from a fashion background. But my grandmother, who kind of my parents worked really hard. And so we, we spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And my grandmother is Filipino, was Filipino. And she was the kind of woman that would walk into a room and everyone would be like, oh, whoa, she's so glamorous. And they didn't come from money. Actually, it was the opposite. My my family had no money growing up. But my grandmother, we still look at all the pictures now of them. And when they were coming over to London, because my mum was a teenager, by the time they moved from Manila, you know, they come from a very, very working class background in the Philippines. And she would, or she stands out like a sore thumb in every single one of these pictures. Everyone's kind of like in their like smock dresses, just, you know, how everyone dresses there. And then there's my grandmother in these gigantic sunglasses, big shoulder pads, her hair's perfectly permed. She looked like perfection 100% of the time. So it's in your jeans, basically. I basically am her, I think. Yes. Yeah. And now it's so, I, I, it took me a few years to realize, but now when I look at how I dress, and when I look at the things that are important to me and make me feel good about myself, they all come from her, all of them. And then added to that, the other side of me is Southern Italian. And obviously fashion is everything in Italy, fashion and football, but fashion. So I grew up with both. And so that's where all the like big gold, yes. love of jewelry, love of Italian tailoring, love of all Italian fashion. That's where that all comes from. And I have always loved it. But the interesting thing is I can pinpoint the exact time that I decided I wanted to be a fashion editor. Because I remember the exact moment, which is my uncle lived next door and his then wife-to-be, she wasn't in fashion, but she loved Vogue. So she would always pick up her Vogues. And it was a June issue of American Vogue 2004. I picked it up and it was a couture issue. And I came across, you know, a 10-page spread of couture. And I just almost cried. And I was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I landed on this page of like four models in Armani and I was like, that's what I want to do. And at that point, I would have been a teenager and that just decided it for me. So I went back to school and I was like, I want to be in fashion. And yeah, I guess, the well, the rest is a long history, but it's history. <laughs> what did you study in school? I studied at university. I studied fashion marketing. Okay. Yeah. So when you and I met, you yeah. were an editor at Harper's Bazaar. Yes. And I remember, I think it was actually my first time in London. I think it was my first fashion week. I'd gone no for Topshop and I'd gone for Burberry, I think. It was the first time I'd ever done London Fashion Week and also been in London. And I remember I'd gone with friends and I met you as like the local super chic, cool British girl. <laughs> and I remember being infatuated with your job as any young yeah. girl in fashion would be. Yeah. 
I would love to hear a little bit about your journey navigating the editorial world and what it was like being an editor at Harper's Bazaar, because I'm sure so many people listening also feel, as I said, when I first met you. Yeah. Goodness me. That really feels like another lifetime now. It's been almost five years since I left. It's funny because people are always like, how did you get there? How did you get to, and you know, Harper's Bazaar is the dream. You know, it's either that or Vogue for me. And in like, if if I, if you were to ask me where I'd want to be at, at like the height of my career. And so I just, honestly, I interned everywhere I could. And I struggled so, so hard to get my first internship. It was really difficult because magazines were really flourishing still at this point and everyone wanted to be in them and it wasn't you know you couldn't just like walk up to a magazine and get an internship now magazines are crying out for interns but it wasn't like that then yeah so I was at this random magazine which they're they're the tax-free magazine and I just was so determined and so I set my sights on how I could work my way up so I called a free magazine in the UK called Stylist and I emailed them and I emailed and called every single day until they were like okay just come in for an internship so I started there and then from there I went on to InStyle and Elle and Vogue and at this point all I wanted to do was write about fashion so like you I love writing I'm a journalist at heart and I love conversation so that was my number one thing but in the first few years that I was there I was kind of I guess pushed a little bit into styling more so I ended up mostly kind of looking after the front of book which is you know, the style pages and trends and news and all that kind of thing. And then that was five years of my life. And things changed so much while I was there. You know, it was really, really like Instagram was only just like really taking off and, you know, blogs were really a thing and they'd started previously, but it was really the inception of the blogger slash influencer slash VIP slash journalist. Like this, you know, it was really... We didn't have multi-hyphenates in fashion until that point. And just so much changed while I was there. And it didn't feel like the right environment for me in the end. And, you know, it's it's no secret that magazines can be a very difficult and toxic place to work. And I did have a hard time while I was there. And eventually I kind of put myself before everything else and before even what I believed my career path should be. And just decided to go for it and try something new. I appreciate your honesty there because I think a lot of people have come on the show before and been like, yeah, it was okay, but they won't go further in that. And I think being real about your experience in the industry, not in a way to diminish anyone else's desire to be in it, Mm -hmm. but I think just say, hey, if you want to be in it, go for it. Mm -hmm. But just know to prepare yourself for what's ahead. I would love to hear if you have a piece of advice for people listening right now who want to join the editorial world Mm -hmm. and the best piece of advice that you have to handle it. I think going into that sector of the industry with your eyes wide open is really important because to this day, I get so many girls messaging me saying, how do I, how do I get into magazines? What's the first step? And I kind of just want to grab them and shake them and, and just be like, I'm, I love magazines. I love print. I love books. But we also have to be realistic about the times that we are in, you know, and the circulation for a lot of these magazines is so small. And so You have to go into it knowing that, you know, just doing one job is is almost impossible anymore in this industry. And you have to have very well-rounded experience. So that's number one. It's it's it's, you know, even with the people that I work with now, I say go and try lots of different parts of this industry because not only will it benefit you to have a 360 degree 
or, you know, as much as you can approach, but also your eventual employer, or if you start your own thing, you know, you will benefit yourself endlessly in that sense. In terms of my experience, you know, when I first started, I was, I was really a kid. I was 22, 23. I was, I wouldn't say boo to a goose. And I was, I was terrified of everyone, to be honest. And I come from, you know, I come from a Filipino Italian background. It's really like, get your head down, work, don't say anything, you know, out of line, speak when you're spoken to. And so that's really how I went into this, which is, you know, it took me really a few years to realize kind of the situation that I was in. And I didn't really want to say anything. And the thing is, when I left, I realized that actually the only way to move forward in this industry and the only way for things to evolve is to speak up. And, you know, we don't talk about how bad things can be in magazines. No one does because they're too scared to, they're scared of what people will say or, and understandably, but I'm, I'm outspoken (laughs) and I can't lie. And so I've always been a truth teller. It's something that everyone knows about me. What I will say is that it is so, so important to understand your own worth. And if you feel like you're being undermined or bullied or any of those things, just talk to someone. And if that's not HR, because, you know, for me, that didn't work, then it's someone external or someone that can help you define where you should really draw a line. And, you know, I kind of wish I had done that sooner, but at the same time, I learned so much about myself and my own resilience. And now, you know, one of the best things to come of it is that I know that I do not, that will never happen to me again. No one is ever allowed to underestimate or undermine my worth unless it's me and so that is probably I mean it's been one of the biggest lessons and most important lessons of my adult life so there's good and bad with all of these experiences. It's fascinating to hear you share this experience especially seeing where you are now because I think you could see a lot of people who experience what you experience and not be able to pick themselves back up let alone go and start their own multi-faceted business you're a stylist, you're a consultant, you're a content creator. You're doing all of these things now and all of that happened through you leaving. How was that process navigating being able to kind of leave this really toxic workplace and create something for yourself in a completely new environment? I'm so happy you're asking me that because it, it's, it's funny when I was leaving everyone, the number of times someone said to me, God, you're so brave to leave there. Because, you know, again, back in the day, you, if you started at Vogel Hoppers, you didn't leave because it was, right. it was you know. The lifeline. Exactly. But to tell you the truth, I got to a point in this experience where I said to myself that I don't care if I leave for no job and I don't care if I never work in fashion again. I need to get out of this particular it was environment. Completely desperation at that point. It was desperation, yeah. It was. And it, it was desperation, but also it was the fact that I had come through so many different levels of understanding myself and my self-worth I got to a point where I was like I don't care what I'm doing I know that it's not going to be here and that was my primary focus but what I did do in the meantime was I started an accessories platform called and finally with a co-worker of mine and you know we were all sharing the similar experience so everyone's looking for an, a, a kind of different outlet and so although we weren't necessarily we weren't making enough to support ourselves by the time we left but I did feel I had something to put my all into. I had a real focus and it was really exciting. And it was it went really, really well for a couple of years. But my my friend and business partner, you know, was we were going in different directions and she was looking to have a family. And so we decided to 
kind of split and go our own way. And the thing is, although I really love to have a goal and a vision, a lot of what's happened for me, to be honest, has been something that's happened very organically. So all the consultancy has happened very organically. That I specialize in luxury and it's what I truly love. And that happens to then be the road that I've taken. That was kind of the next step. And and the content creation was coming up as part of that. You know, people always ask me, and I'm sure you get this question endlessly, what do I do to generate an audience and to get in front of brands and to have, you know, a reason for being here? And I always ask, what's your purpose and what's your niche and what is it that you it's not always about what you truly love but what is your point of difference and I think for me kind of by accident it is the fact that you know I love luxury and I love fashion fashion my followers are buying crazy YSL shell earrings that are the size of your ear and you know things like that so yeah so I guess that's why that's kind of worked out you found your niche I found my niche yeah I think I found my niche I think what you're saying is really true it happens so organically like tiny little building blocks one on top of another. And I do often get asked that question, like how did you get to all of these things? And I love that you brought up the point of starting with and finally and that you knew it wasn't going to be your end all be all, but it was something to put all of your energy into. Yeah. I think people underestimate how important it is to build those stepping stones. It's not just about, you know, coming out with something that you think is going to be your forever. And sometimes these things aren't our forevers, but they get us through that time to get us to the next stepping stone. I even think about that with like friend of a friend, the blog. It was that tiny stepping stone that got me to the next thing. You slowly build and that momentum grows. Yeah. You brought up something earlier that is something that I so deeply love about you and also just feel really connected to you on and inspired by. And I'm also just so curious about, which is that if you're in social media today, it is shoved down our throats to be real and show everything I'm doing in the day from the food I eat to breakfast to my thoughts before I go to bed to, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if I am someone who loves to take photos, I'm now having to learn the video skill. And I've had a lot of creators on here who I love who have gone against the grain. I remember I had Emily Sim live on here and she was like, I don't like videos like I'm not here to do video like I'm here to give you guys really great photos yes what if I don't want to do Mm -hmm. video and I've had this on my own personal experience with this with TikTok because it's really not natural for me Instagram's natural I have a lot of fun with it but with you I feel that kinship really deeply because I think that you as you mentioned have a very luxury based audience you love luxury it's the niche that you found that is successful and authentic to you But all of your content is not shot on iPhone. It's not BTS of your life. It's Mm -hmm. really curated editorial moments that very clearly show your artistry and your passion. But again, really go against the grain. Yes. So (laughs) she says with a a really cheeky (laughs) smile on her face, I would love to hear your experience being a a social media rebel, as we like to say, but (laughs) just completely going against kind of this entire era that we're in right now where every week it's something new that we have to tap into and really just standing strong in what it is that you love and pursuing Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love this conversation with you. Firstly, I think what I've learned is that if it doesn't feel right for you, it's probably not going to resonate. That is so important because you know, Emily's a, a mutual friend of ours and she knows what works for her and she goes with that and she's the only person doing what she does. 
And that is so important because we could all try and be each other, but that doesn't make any sense because then there'd be multiples of us. But I think for me specifically, I mean, listen, I come from an editorial print background. I come from a place where we would pain over the shade of fuchsia that was on the band of, you know, and that would take 30 days to be like, this is the right shade. No, this is the right shade. So I've definitely tortured myself with a level of perfection that is unattainable. And I am trying to kind of dial that down a little bit. But the truth is that I am not someone who is going to be doing my makeup routine in the morning. I'm also not someone that's going to journal and tell you all about it. That doesn't make any sense for me. I am on a very different journey. And what I do love and what I'm good at is sharing fashion. And so that's what I'm and that's what I'm going to do. And don't get me wrong. As I know you have, we all feel this sense of urgency and this kind of suffocation. Okay. I mean, (laughs) suffocation too. (laughs) Exactly. Of of being like, oh my goodness, I should be doing this. But wait, I'm not on TikTok and I haven't done this many reels this month. And and I definitely feel that sense of like mania a lot of the time. But I also know in my heart of hearts that I hate doing a bad job. It's my number one pet peeve. I hate putting something up and not thinking that I gave it 100%. And if I started doing all of that now, then I wouldn't be giving it 100% because I don't know what I want to do with it. Right. I was having this conversation with someone yesterday and I told them that if we don't hold on to the one thing that we have in this world, which is ourselves, which is you, then we literally have nothing because we we represent a brand. You know, you are a brand. People listen to you because of the how intelligent you are and how, you know, the way that you speak and the way that you ask questions. And if you tomorrow decided to try and sound like someone else then we would lose the person that we love listening to and so that is so 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 important you said earlier that you were trying to dial down the perfection in a way yes (laughs) and just to quote you but I'm curious to hear if that's something that you are doing for your audience or for yourself oh my goodness that's a really good question I think it's probably for both. I have been, and I, as I said to you as well, I have been trying to share and not torture myself over every single post. And I know you feel the same that it's, it's, you know, we literally crucify ourselves if something isn't perfect. And so I'm trying to be a little bit more relaxed with that, even just to see where that takes me. And so it's not all so kind of constructed, but also just for my own, my own sanity. I completely resonate with what you're saying because it really does feel quite suffocating. So I'm glad that you're doing that for both, but mostly for you because to wake up every day and feel like you have to hit this barometer of perfection is a really slippery slope. Yeah. And not something I think I want to bring into the next 10 years of my life. I've been doing this for almost 10 years. And I feel like when I first started, I was way more like loosey-goosey. Like mm-hmm. it was fun. I was yeah. here. I was doing this. I wasn't so scared of the internet. No, but the pressure grows. Pressure grows. And it grows from within us as well as right. outside of us. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But also I think that, you know, one of the things that's quite crippling in a way in what we do is that, you know, as much as like I love what I do and I feel like I have a particular niche, it also means that other people are like, your content's amazing. This is perfect. And so that builds something in me, like an expectation of myself 
that is unrealistic. Right. The other thing for me is that, and I think this is probably kind of an, an important conversation. I'll, I know I've been talking for a while, so I'll say it quickly. But we are in a moment in time when being a multi-hyphenate is the norm, right? When I was when I was growing up, I only wanted to be a fashion editor. Now I want to be a consultant, stroke this, stroke that. And I really and truly believe that we've gone a little bit crazy with our perception of what a creative should be. And truth be told, the more I read, the more I think about it, creatives need space and we need silence and we need to be able to generate ideas in a safe space that isn't being stressed and pressured and all those things. And so for me this year, I've actually dialed back a lot on everything else. I really want to concentrate on my content creation because I love it. And this is something I said to you on the phone, which is that I, as someone who came from a print and publishing background, you know, they really went out of their way to make me feel that this wasn't a real job. And now I've given myself permission to make my job whatever it, whatever I want it to be. And if that's full-time content creation, that's what that's the career path I chose. And by the way, so many people would kill to have our jobs and to be in our positions. And we are so, I know we've worked hard. Of course, I know that. But we're also so fortunate. And so to not make the most of that, to me, feels like a real sin. I'm excited to see that come to life. Thank you, my right. love. Yeah, thank you. Speaking of looking towards the future, we are currently in the midst of the two-month marathon. What are you excited about for this season? Do you know you're you're going to be in Paris, not Milan yes. and Paris. Milan and pa- London, Milan and Paris. Yeah. Great. Yeah. What are you excited about? Oh, my goodness. I'm excited about so much. I'm excited about all the new... There's been such a change around, hasn't there, of creative directors. So there's so much to look forward to. But truth be told, I just love being immersed in it. I love being immersed in the whole atmosphere and the environment. And it's easy to get carried away, isn't it? It's so yes, absolutely. It's hectic. There is so much complacency and complaining and, you know, making out like this is a really hard job. And yes, it is. I know. And I've been on the publishing side and I know it's I know it can be exhausting, but we become so jaded so quickly. And so it's been really important to me, especially since I've been working for myself to really take a minute every time we're there, you know, every time we're in Milan or Paris or doing these incredible things and just thinking like, I really am so grateful for this opportunity. And I'm never, I say this all the time, there will never come a day that that Chanel invite lands on my desk and I don't have some kind of like something like it's just a moment of elation it's never gonna happen I love fashion like you like I I I love it to my core I really I you know I like get excited reading show notes and understanding the things and I know that that's not the norm and it's not for everyone but in the same way that like if you love airplanes then going to an aero convention would be your dream you know you're immersed in a thing that you love this is our convention this is our convention (laughs) and that's how I describe it to everybody when they're like what's it like I'm like it's like going to the airplane convention yes a a city-wide convention yes where but also it's like if everyone was like dressed up as a pilot (laughs) but we're just dressed up as like Great Some, comparison. Yeah. I'm extremely grateful for having you on the show today. I'm this was so amazing and so much this. fun. I'm so Thank glad we got to do this IRL. And again, like the conversations like this are so fulfilling for me. And I hope they're helpful for people listening who yeah. want to be in content creation, want to be an editorial, yeah. want like a glimpse into the, yeah. this world that yeah. has previously been so exclusive and elusive. So yeah. I get really, really excited when I get yeah. to have these conversations. And I hope that people also feel 
able to reach out to us and ask questions because I think that is it's so important to connect and and to realize that you know people are willing to help and and to support each other yeah yeah love you thanks thank you love you Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.